We just sang about being free, which is the promise of liberal religion. And do you know that's what that word liberal means? Free. It's the root of the word. Liber means free. Free to think for yourself and to be who you are. Free to follow the Spirit where it leads. Free to be open to new ideas and new ways of being. I'm talking about liberal religion, though not liberal politics, okay? They're not the same, though there may be some overlap between your spiritual leanings and how you act in the world. I hope so, right? I love our free faith and am grateful for it because it gave me a way back to a faith that I thought I'd given up on. Reflecting on this journey of mine, A couple of days ago, I dug out the sermon that my friend Curtis preached at my ordination back in 2005. Curtis is a dear friend of mine, and he's also an Episcopal monk. And so I want you to hear what he said to the congregation gathered there that day, because he's talking about you all, about our UU tradition. He said, what we all have in common is this thing called love. Our experience of love being present and love being absent. I would say most all of us are the same with pretty much the same needs and pretty much the same eternal longings. One of the great hallmarks of Unitarian Universalism is your commitment to inclusivity and pluralism. You have been historically and convincingly committed not to making people be more like you, but of helping people to become more themselves, the real persons God has created them to be. You are a guarantor of that. That's your tradition. And it's beautiful. And it's crucial these days as we see in our world and in our nation the rampant indignity of racism, class polarization, militarism, and the dehumanizing aspects of globalization. What does God's love look like? It looks like you. It looks like you. We rightfully have plenty to be proud of in this tradition. We have plenty to live up to. And you know everything has a shadow. Carl Jung taught us this, that there is a part of ourselves that we don't want to look at or acknowledge because we're ashamed of it or afraid of it. The trouble with an unacknowledged shadow is that you tend to project it onto others. It's psychology 101. But if we look into our shadows, we will find parts of ourselves that want to come out want to be engaged with. And if we do this inner work, it will help to round out our lives. It will heal us and it'll set us free. Of course, nations and institutions, they have shadows too. Robert Bly wrote about this in his A Little Book on the Human Shadow, which is little, it's a classic, it's worth reading. Today, I want us to look critically 
at our faith tradition and at religious liberalism? What are its shadows? Those of us who were part of the Transforming Hearts Transgender Inclusion class last winter, we touched on some of the shadows of our UU tradition. Our tendency to be dismissive or afraid of our Jewish and Christian roots. Our tendency or in difficulty in seeing how our tradition is rooted in a culture and a system of white supremacy. The difficulty of any kind of culture change, right? But the shadow of religious liberalism I want to explore with you today is something that might seem just all good. It's our sunny optimism, our faith in humankind. And I have a bit of historical evidence to this fact, if you don't believe me. Some years ago, Valerie Osborne brought this framed poster to me. A neighbor of hers found it, and I believe it was you, Valerie, who rescued it from the trash bin. It quotes a 19th century Unitarian minister named James Freeman Clark, and it reads, Our faith, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus, salvation by character, the progress of mankind onward and upward forever. I'm going to set it over here. You can check it out after the service. You may be inclined to, but I ask you, please don't throw it in the trash bin. <laughs> it is a piece of our, of our history. And right off the bat, I want to apologize for the patriarchal and exclusively masculine language rooted in these words. It's kind of embarrassing now, isn't it? But this is our history, on the Unitarian side at least. But beyond that language, what I really want to question is the assertion that we are saved by our character and that we humans are so good that our journey is going to be all progress, onward and upward forever. These posters were popular in Unitarian churches at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th centuries. But then came the First World War and the Second World War and the Holocaust. Onward and upward, forever? I wonder if some church folks started looking at these and taking them down off their walls. I kind of doubt it. Do you know that Martin Luther King Jr., he saw himself as a religious liberal? He cherished the freedom, the use of reason, the potential for change found in a free faith. Before he was a well-known drum major for justice, he was a student of philosophy and theology. And he wrote in one of his beautiful writings, there is one phase of liberalism that I hope to cherish always. It's devotion to the search for truth, 
its insistence on an open and analytical mind, its refusal to abandon the best light of reason. But, Reverend Dr. King wrote, it was mainly the liberal doctrine of man that I began to question. The more I observed the tragedies of history and I'm going to change this to people because in his day that was the language man, but and people's shameful inclination to choose the low road, the more I came to see the depths and strength of sin. I came to recognize the complexity of humans' social involvement and the glaring reality of collective evil. I came to feel that liberalism had been all too sentimental concerning human nature and that it leaned toward a false idealism. As I've gotten older, I've become less optimistic about our human condition. Less naive, you could say. Because I have experienced firsthand people doing bad things and hurtful things and selfish things. To say nothing of the injustice and the atrocities in our world that we bear witness to day in and day out, right? So what do we do about these things? How do we live here in the 21st century when our world is both so connected and so troubled? How do you get out of the bed in the morning if you think that people are terrible and our world is going down the tubes? One thing that helps me is remembering that those painful headlines and those inhuman and, yes, evil things we do to one another, they are not the whole story, thankfully. As we heard in our reading a few minutes ago, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. It also helps to be mindful of our own failings our own complicity, our own inadequacy, to acknowledge and confess our faults, something that in our more optimistic tradition we sometimes have been reluctant to do. You may think, but if I do this, it'll probably just make me feel worse. Maybe it will at the start, but if we are going to grow in heart and in soul, we have to tell the truth, right? We have to look at things as they are, to acknowledge that there is no one blameless on the earth. There are no clean hands. As, as we do this, as we come back down to earth, that's what this will do. It'll bring us back down to earth where we ought to be. And as we do this, we will feel the good and solid ground under our feet. If I was flying a bit high on the day that I was ordained to the ministry, my friend Curtis brought me back down to earth. At the end of his sermon, he said, it was wonderful that I wanted to be a minister and had these gifts that I was able to put to use in this vocation. And then he said, there's something else that comes to my mind on this day, Frank. You are inadequate. 
Despite so much good that has come from your life and family and preparation, you simply do not possess everything you will need to be our minister. And you will know this before we will. The grace in this, what could seem like a negative, is that your own sense of inadequacy will keep you belonging to us because you will need us as much as we need you. You are called to be a minister, not a Messiah. Your own sense of inadequacy, of absence, will keep you on your knees in a right posture before God, who is always more. These words have never been far from me. But lately, I have been increasingly aware of my own inadequacy. That for our church to meet the needs of this moment and to thrive in the days ahead, the ministry here has to be shared more and more widely. I need to get better at doing this. We need one another, and I certainly need your help. And I know you feel inadequate too, right? But can you see this which could feel like something to hide away? Or to be ashamed of, it isn't that at all. None of us are complete, right? None of us have everything we need. And certainly none of us should go it alone. The invitation of inadequacy is to let down your guard and ask for help. The grace in this is that we will be drawn into deep and real connections with one another, that our own sense of absence will help us to be more present to our broken and hurting world. And traveling this way, we will come to see that we are part of something beautiful, and good. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. My spiritual companions, we are builders of that city. That city which prophets have always dreamed of, where people do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. And in our building, we will do this imperfectly and inadequately, oft with bleeding hands and tears. And this is where grace comes in and asks us to have faith that we are part of something larger and more lasting that will continue on and that will shine on even when we are gone. Amen.